1: Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply.
0: Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life.
1: PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since
0: 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank, National Association, member FDIC. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. We are
1: back with the part two of this look into Christianity and the marginalized community. And y'all, it is stretching out. It is, it is stretching out mm-hmm. <laughs> as per sure usual. <laughs> um, yeah. In the last episode, if you did listen and want to recap, we did a quick overview on women and marginalized communities, um, talking about statistics, breaking down of women and religion and even deconstruction. We talked about the history about it, of it a little bit. And for those who didn't listen, you don't really have to, because even though it's a part two, it kind of does seem to all separate. But maybe you should go back and listen just to kind of get, you know, a a quick basis, right? The groundwork Mm -hmm. for it. Um, And also, shout out to listener and friend of the show, Ray. I hope I said that right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Who actually sent us a message reminding me that Acts was not written by Paul. It was written by Luke who also wrote uh, the Gospel of Luke. So just an FYI, I did get that wrong, but it does have the beginning story of Uh Paul, which is what got into my brain. But you know, we like to clarify, corrections are always good, please let us know. Um, (laughs) And you know what, today we're kind of having a throwback because when I started this podcast with you, as just a guest, we did a whole trauma mini series. It was a lot. And so we're kind of throwing it back with this religious trauma. However, it is a very long conversation. And though we will define what it is and kind of give you a rundown of what that looks like, symptoms, all of that, we don't talk about the effects of it yet because we have so much to cover. So there's going to be a part three and probably a part four, maybe a part five. Who knows? But There's a lot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's a lot, Uh and with this, we do want to put a content warning. Of course, we're going to talk about uh, religious trauma in general. We do talk about roles of women. We're not getting into the nitty gritty, but eventually, we will be talking about domestic violence, uh, sexual violence, hate language towards the queer community, and all of that. So, just beware. We're going to put that at the top. And again, another: we're not trying to denigrate Christianity. Please understand what we're looking at is the dark side when it does affect women and why women are leaving and marginalized communities are leaving Christianity behind. And it is growing, as we said at the first episode, the amount of people who are leaving. So, there you go. Content warning.
0: Yes. (laughs) I actually just saw, because as we record this, it was a big like Passover just happened, Easter just happens. Yes. And I just saw a big article on CNN about what is going on with the church. Everyone's leaving. Well, <laughs> here we are <laughs> to give you here some we reasons are. why. <laughs> and yes, we are focusing mainly on uh, Western Christianity. Just a note. Also, I've never heard this term. So let's get into it. What are we talking about? And we say religious trauma syndrome This term was first coined by psychologist Marlene Winnell. I hope I'm not butchering that in 2011, but uh, the basis of it has been around much earlier than that, much longer than that. Um, And as we know, sometimes when we have a name or a label for something, it can help not only understand the type of trauma that someone might be going through, but how to work through those types of trauma and, Dr. Winnell defines it as, quote, "...religious trauma syndrome is the condition experienced by people who are struggling with leaving an authoritarian, dogmatic religion and coping with the damage of indoctrination. They may be going through the shattering of a personally meaningful faith and or breaking away from a controlling community and a lifestyle." RTS is a function of both the chronic abuses of harmful religion and the impact of severing one's connection with one's faith. It can be compared to a combination of PTSD and complex PTSD or CPTSD. Right. And we've talked about that before. And again, we do want to emphasize this is
1: harmful religion.
0: Mm -hmm. That is
1: the keynote here. Um, So what does that look like? It's similar to other types of trauma. Um, So here are some cognitive symptoms, uh, such as issues with self-esteem and self-worth perfectionism, poor critical thinking, confusion, some emotional symptoms, depression, grief, loneliness, loss of meaning, social symptoms, loss of network, family rupture, social awkwardness. And y'all, this is describing me to a T and how I'm having a moment, (laughs) Uh, cultural symptoms, difficulty belonging, information gap, and unfamiliarity with the secular world. And I really thought that was important to put in there because if you are from a religious background, you know exactly what that means. I, any I did not watch secular movies. And I say secular meaning they weren't religious. When I say I did not watch any TV for a full couple of years, I had no idea what's going on in the world. And I was like, what was that? Was this? I had a good friend of mine in college that did it throughout not only not only college, but high school. And so whenever we'd had any references like music, she had no clue what was going on. This, it was such a disruption. And for me, coming out of that, I was like, oh, man, I missed a lot. I don't know. I am not cool with the kids anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I was a kid.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Implying that you once were. Hmm. It wasn't. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Uh, so let's look at some of the causes of RTS. According to the article written by Dr. Winnell, "...authoritarianism coupled with toxic theology, which is received and reinforced at church, school, and home, results in the following. Suppression of normal child development, cognitive, social, emotional, moral stages are arrested. Damage to normal thinking and feeling abilities, uh, information is limited and controlled, dysfunctional beliefs taught, independent thinking condemned." Feelings condemned. External locus of control. Knowledge is revealed, not discovered. Hierarchy of authority enforced. Self, not a reliable or good source. Physical and sexual abuse. Patriarchal power. Unhealthy sexual views. Punishment used as for discipline.
1: And you know, I found that interesting when we have this category about sexual abuse. And under it, it talks about unhealthy sexual views. Mm-hmm. And we talked about it in our purity um, Episode, and we're going to review it. We're going to go back, come back to it in the next episode because I think it's still important that we address it. But that it could be harmful and a form of emotional abuse at the very least because there's so much fear. Uh, inundated with it, that it causes a lot of problems, a lot of psychological problems. I know uh, specifically women who had a lot of sexual dysfunction because of their association to how dirty sex could be or are there unhealthy views of sex. So I really Mm -hmm. think that's important that we talk about that when we come back later. But again, I just wanted to note that. And speaking of abuse, uh, let's go ahead and define religious and spiritual abuse before we go any further. Uh, According to One Wellness site, it is, quote, when someone uses religious teachings, beliefs, or practices for their own purpose and designed to gain or maintain power and control over others. I think that's so important that we remember what this looks like about that power. When we talk about abuse, we always talk about there's a level of power there. um, And there is that with the religious and spiritual aspect. And (laughs) while we're at it, because I don't think we did this last time, let's define religion and spirituality. Uh, Yeah, like I said, we forgot the first time around. So according to Merriam-Webster, religion is defined as, quote, a personal set of institutionalized system of religious attitudes, beliefs, and practices, also the service and worship of God or the supernatural, or commitment or devotion to religious faith or observance. And then spirituality is defined as, quote, something that in ecclesiastical law belongs to the church or to a cleric as such. Clergy, sensitivity, or attachment to religious values. Okay. Now, we've got that back out of the way. So let's go back to the trauma part, right?
0: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And religious and spiritual trauma can manifest in different ways. Um, For example, using religious beliefs to control aspects of your personal life, including behavior, what you wear, who you date and who you do or don't have sex with, what job you have, how you parent, uh, your finances, facing criticism or punishment for questioning beliefs, practices, facing criticism or punishment for reporting mistreatment or incidents of abuse, minimizing or ridiculing mental health symptoms as, quote, sinful, demonic, or weak faith. Right. And again, we're going to come back to this because I think,
1: especially when we talk about mental health for the longest time. And I was told this myself when I was going through my suicidal ideation um, and my really dark times that I wasn't praying enough. Um, And there was a level of shame that was placed onto me that I would talk to other people about that darkness instead of talking to God or just keeping it to myself. So again, we're going to come back to that. And then, yeah, we've definitely seen that whole conversation of they're possessed.
0: Or the devil's in them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. And as Dr. Winnell wrote about the cycle of abuse, quote, The doctrines of original sin and internal damnation cause the most psychological distress by creating the ultimate double bind. You're guilty and responsible and faced internal punishment, yet you have no ability to do anything about it. These are teachings of fundamentalist Christianity. However, other authoritarian religions have equally toxic doctrines. You must conform to a mental test of believing in an external, unseen source for salvation. And maintain the state of belief until death. You cannot ever stop sinning altogether. So you must continue to confess and be forgiven, hoping that you have met the criteria despite complete lack of feedback about whether you will actually make it to heaven. Salvation is not a free gift after all. For the sincere believer, this results in an unending cycle of shame and relief. (sighs) Mm -hmm. Yes,
1: Um, and that is the constant. And again, just like she said, it's not just Christianity that we see this in. It is definitely uh, across the lines of different types of faith and different beliefs. Again, we are talking specifically about Christianity in our episode, but what she's talking about with the religious trauma syndrome, that could be any religion. Mm -hmm. And from that wellness article we mentioned earlier, here are some examples of religious trauma. And we're going to quote them all because I think it's important because I think it's going to hit with a lot of people. It hit me a lot. Uh, Mm -hmm. You are confused about what you're being taught and are scared or uncomfortable with voicing questions for your beliefs. You attack dismiss, or shame yourself if you have a differing belief or question your beliefs. You are terrified of death, evil, the rapture, the devil, and hell. You may have nightmares or reoccurring fears of when the world will end and what will happen after. You may dissociate or feel separated from your body and emotions due to fear of connecting with emotions and constant focusing outward to others and God you constantly criticize and judge yourself and others due to fear of sin and fear of upsetting God. You are afraid of being led astray, that's in quotes, by the devil or evil. And so you become afraid or critical of the, quote, outside world,
0: secular world. You feel unable to or uncomfortable with saying no to others. And also, uh, women, you might be afraid that your body is bad and others should not look at you, think you're beautiful, and that it is your responsibility to make sure that doesn't happen. Men, you might be afraid to get too close to a woman because then you will, quote, fall into sin by lusting after her, and then you will have to marry her. You struggle to trust your own thoughts, feelings, and intuition because you have been taught the body is wrong or bad. You attack, dismiss, or alienate others who do not believe the same way you do.
1: Right. And I, again, like we've left that all in there. And I'm sure there's other things that we could add on to that would explain it even deeper or go into the feelings or the fear. The fear is the biggest part uh, to a lot of this, obviously. And these are some of the most dangerous things that can happen, which could cause bodily harm to others and or uh, some way of overpowering others because of the fear. When we talked about uh, the shootings that happened in Atlanta, the uh, Atlanta spa shootings, that's exactly what happened. He was in so much fear of sinning that this is what his solution was because they were a part, these women were a part of his sin. He, he would rather kill. And for some reason, that outweighed the whole <laughs>
0: thou shalt not murder, apparently. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah. We also want to take a minute to look at a different term coined by Reba Riley uh, called post-traumatic church syndrome. Here's a quote from her interview with the National Catholic Reporter. Post-traumatic church syndrome is the term I made up to describe my spiritual injuries after I left my faith in my early 20s. I define PTCS as, one, a condition of spiritual injury that occurs as a result of religion, faith, and or the losing, leaving, or breaking thereof— Two, the vile, noxious, and otherwise foul aftermath of said injury. And three, the serious term intended to aid serious spiritual healing without taking itself too seriously in the process. In another interview with Time, she says, People who leave or are left by their faith lose a lot more than a place to go on Sunday morning. They lose relationships with family and friends, social status, tribal approval, self-esteem. They lose their God, their identity, their certainty, their gravity. I know because I lost all of these things. Right.
1: And honestly, there's so much to be said. So she wrote a whole book. Um, based on her experience uh, and, and her uh, coining this term, but it's true. I, I've talked about it before when I walked away from what I thought and believed and what I thought was my quote-unquote calling. It felt like a piece of me had been ripped out of me. It felt like either a death or a, a huge divorce, essentially, because I it took out part of my identity. Again, it was a third, like, it was a like a, double-edged sword in that being an adoptee and being told from the day that I arrived in the US that God saved me for this purpose. And that this purpose was to serve others, to tell about Jesus essentially, um, because I had to be grateful that I was saved physically and spiritually. And it it was devastating when I felt that falling apart. When I felt things falling apart, when I came out and realized the things that were told to me was love, people were using as a weapon. Um, And especially coming in here, I'm like, my whole ideal, and I think this is to, to me being real literal, I cannot help being literal in that if I'm actually going to help people then I need to truly help people. So being a social worker, being an advocate, but then even not being able to do anything because there were roadblocks and there were politics, and it was politics based in church and Christianity. And then on top of that, like some of the scriptures saying people were going to hell because of who they were created to be. When I was similar to that, my personality was a very strong, independent woman. That is not what I was taught. It was a good thing. Um, And I was ashamed. And then finding leadership that was like, I'm like, why would I follow you? You're ridiculous and you don't know what you're doing. Just because you have a penis, why should I trust you more? And it was was devastating to see that. And it felt like I had lost an entire chunk of my life, if not the whole existence of my life and trying to start over Felt impossible, so it it, it made a lot of sense in that. Of course, there's an amazing thing when you heal and grow out of it, and then do what you need to on your own and finding your own spirituality. Of course, and I said that in the first episode. I'm not completely atheist in in that um, I don't believe in something. whatever the karma the you know the greater good whatever I, I want to know I want to think that there is a bigger purpose of course do I believe what I believed back then no could I ever I don't think so it is it's been too much and the things that I've seen again that faced all those fears and showed me that you could not question how is this big deity so fragile that you cannot ask questions. It was a whole whole part of me that felt um, lost. And it, it still I still struggle with it today. I've, obviously, I've been talking about it. Uh, we've been talking about it, how it really put a giant wedge between people that I, I've known all my life or most of my life or those who um, I'm supposed to look up to. And it's been a struggle. It's been very isolating. And it's interesting to see because now I see family members or people who are younger than me going through that same thing. And it's, and I hate that for them, but they have to go through it themselves before they understand what it is. Ah, oh, but yes, I just wanted to share that.
0: Can I rant for a sec? Please. Not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life.
1: PNC Bank. Brilliantly boring since 1865.
0: Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC.
1: Moving on, outside of my sad stories. What does this mean for women and the marginalized community? What does religious trauma look for those who are already seen as not worth as much, right? Uh, In one article for um, lifeafterdogma.com, and by the way, a lot of our articles came from uh, religious papers or religious sites that had a lot of conversations. So again, I'm not going after religion in general because they are having this conversation within themselves and they see a problem as well. So I think it's an amazing time to see that people are being open and are willing to ask questions. But again, so this is lifeafterdogma.com um, and the writer is Andrew Jesco. I really hope I said that right. I apologize. Um, and he puts it frankly. He says, Many leave Christianity simply because they are women. The Bible was written by men and for men. God has a penis. Patriarchy informs the entire biblical worldview. There's no escaping that. Try as liberal Christianity may. There's only damage control. Women often find much more freedom in schools and the workplace than in their churches, learning they don't have to be, quote, silent and submissive to men like in many churches. They aren't the property of men. Feminine sexuality is not to be suppressed because it's some kind of temptation for men, nor is it a service for men on demand. And I thought that was an interesting way of putting it. I do like the line about God has a penis. Sorry, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, y'all. And as we talked about in that first episode, in our previous episode, history is not kind to how the Bible is interpreted when it comes to women and the marginalized community. And today's debate, as the country continues to be split with politicians, again, weaponizing religion for power, there's a lot. but. As I said at the top, before we can actually talk about how religious trauma affects women and the marginalized community in general, we have to talk about the misogyny and sexism in Christianity. So let's start it.
0: Okay, yeah. In her journal, Sexism and Misogyny in the Christian Tradition, Liberating Alternatives, Rosemary Radford Ruther researches the depths of these roles in Christianity. At the start of her article, she writes, attitudes towards women are often the result of a, quote, patriarchal and hierarchical reading of the system of Christian symbols as a whole, rather than specific doctrines. These readings of a, quote, system of domination derives from patriarchal slavocracies, the social system in which Christianity was born. That is a quote, uh, but does recognize that its original intent, quote, began as a critique of this system that proposed prophetic liberating alternatives that were then partially replaced, which we would argue that the original ideal is what was most likely appeasing for those who are marginalized. Misogynistic attitudes have roots in the Greek philosophical tradition, particularly Aristotle, uh, and these traditions believe that, quote, women lack autonomous reason, and were therefore inherently inferior and dependent on the male.
1: Right. And again, we're coming back to Paul. Again, many opinions. Again, (laughs) I really like being not the only one. Love seeing it in writing, too. Uh, Ruther writes, quote, But Paul prefers that gender hierarchy and slavery remain intact until Christ returns which he had uh, expected to happen very mm-hmm. soon, which I feel like happens often. Yeah. Most prophets think it's going to happen real soon and it never <laughs> really does, whatever. I'm sure one day we'll maybe we'll be shocked, whatever. Um, and Paul writes in the New Testament that, quote, equality in Christ is only spiritual and does not affect worldly gender and class hierarchies. So we wanted to take some uh, Bible verses for you as examples. Um, and this one's from the New Testament. He wrote, Wives, obey your husband, and slaves, obey your masters, and children, obey your parents. Uh, yeah, and it only continues with this theme throughout, including uh, verses like Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, quote, Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do the Lord. Then we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the husband is the head of his wife, and God is the head of Christ. Also, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8 and 9, man was not made from woman, but woman made from man. Neither was man created for the sake of woman, but for the sake of man. For this reason, a woman should have a symbol of authority on her head. So this is a debated topic about head covering. So uh-huh. you'll see it throughout all kinds of um, conversations. Yeah, <laughs> That was something that happened in my college ministry. There was a whole debate
0: about head coverings. Really? Um, UGA, even. Wow. And Reuther goes on to say, the first epistle of Timothy, a disciple of Paul, quote, seeks to give the final basis for women's subordination in the church and to refute any idea that this subordination had been overcome in Christ. Women are said to have been both created second after the male and also to have been guilty of originating humanity's fall into sin. So here's some more Bible verses. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, quote, For Adam was formed first and then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became the transgressor. And with verses and texts like these, the message is very clear. Not only are women secondary, but they are the reason for evil on earth. They are seductresses and deceivers and easily misled. And their duties, or perhaps more along the lines of punishment, are, quote, No authority in the church expected to be silent. Uh, submission to men, and then pain of childbirth.
1: Right, of course. And then, of course, all of the pain in general. Women just deserve pain, right? (laughs) Uh, Okay, Um, (laughs) and as we continue forward in history, the interpretation doesn't stray far from those beliefs. Uh, St. Augustine distinguishes between, quote, the spiritual capacity of women's souls and her, quote, physical nature as female, which is... That's right, not the image of God, but rather images of the body as carnal and prone to sin. Because we can conceive, right? That means we're sinful. And the theology continues with the idea that men are fully formed humans, but women are, quote, defective humans. Yes, Uh, as Ruther writes, Christ had to be male to represent full humanity, and therefore only males could represent Christ in the priesthood. And many would consider God being male as well, or male representing, you know, the strong, the righteous, the angered, the powerful. So therefore, obviously, he is masculine.
0: Mm -hmm. And as we keep moving up the timeline, the Reformation era was not so great for women either. Luther and Calvin, quote, worsened the early Christian tradition by denying that women can exercise the power of prophecy. Um, They did, however, elevate women's characters a bit by rejecting the idea of women as, quote, defective by nature, but instead insisted that, quote, women accept their subordination as obedience to the divinely established social order. And, of course, quote, rationality and ruling power are seen as male qualities to be exercised by males and inappropriate for women. Right. Um, Yeah,
1: just look at the status of politics today. We don't have emotional politicians at all that are men Um, or you know the whole dating scene is not like rampant with emotional men who get very angry for no reason at all including like oh I don't know I just saw a wonderful tweet of a woman who got a message and it was she said hey I'm asleep I'll respond to you and he sends a huge long letter essentially telling her message essentially telling her that he is she is missing out and all he wanted to do was buy her things (laughs) Like it was on and on. And then she was like, dude, I told you I was asleep that I would get back to you. She wasn't even rejecting him. Right. Mm -hmm. But men aren't emotional,
0: Annie. Oh, no. They are so (laughs) rational.
1: (laughs) But women, just inappropriate, obviously. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Snagajob. Okay, so however, uh, this theological battle of men's roles versus women's roles has been around for years. And I thought, because we found several different articles talking about feminism in the church, women's roles. And I found one from 1985, and it's titled, Women Are the Devil's Gateway. Uh, And it was for the New Internationalists, which I think they did a whole debate for this. And we're going to take a big chunk out of it because, again, it's too fascinating. Today, Orthodox Jewish women are still excluded from the praying community and seated behind a screen. Roman Catholic and Protestant women who want to serve the bread and wine are asked instead to serve church suppers. Women in every congregation still hear such phrases as, quote, God our Father, sons of God, men of God, and the brotherhood of man. And in this patriarchal theology, writes American feminist Rosemary Ruther, the male is taken to be the normative representative of a human species, the norm for imagining God and for defining anthropology, sin, redemption, and ministry. The female, in contrast, is seen as subordinate and auxiliary to the male. Women never appear in patriarchal theology as representatives of humanity as such. Their normative position is that of absence and silence. When patriarchal theology mentions women, it does so to reinforce its definition of her place. In the system, feminist scholars also began to identify the relationship between the sexism women experience at worship and the biblical worldview. The creation story shared by Christians, Muslims, and Jews is a cornerstone of the historical bias towards women. According to the Hebrew folktale, Eve tempted Adam with the forbidden fruit and thus triggered humankind's expulsion from paradise. The identification of woman with evil, temptation, and sin thus became a primary ingredient in Christian tradition. While men was associated with the spiritual, the reasonable, and the godly, women was linked to flesh, matter, and the world. Good and evil were given the clear sexual counterparts. According to this very view, women actually cause evil to come into the world. As a result, they must atone for their collective guilt and redeem themselves.
0: And with that, the article continues. So in the past decade, feminists have challenged assumptions that any form of oppression is natural part of the created order. And such devastating critiques of the Judeo-Christian tradition have led many feminists to leave established churches and synagogues. A goddess movement has emerged in which women are attempting to reshape ancient worship and celebrate women's creative power. Spiritual feminism has become an important aspect of the women's movement worldwide. Still, many feminists choose to remain within organized religions. Those who stay obviously believe the women's movement can change the church. Christian feminists in particular look at early church history and the life of Jesus for inspiration. In the community Jesus gathered around him, women were treated as equals, playing central roles in the early church. Jesus told his followers, call no man father, no man master, and warned them not to quote lord it over others. So many Christian feminists find affirmation and hope in Jesus' life and teachings. Along with other liberation theologians, they say the Bible puts God squarely on the side of the poor and oppressed. And that true liberation can only come when women can take their place at the very center of faith as subjects rather than objects.
1: Right. Again, we're coming back to a lot of conversation about trying to meet in the middle, trying to reestablish what the Bible truly meant. And again, there are so many terms within Christian culture that kind of goes from one to another. I, I, as a teacher of the Bible, I'm putting that in quotes. Um, we talk about the word being, and we called it the word uh, being the living word of God. So, in that aspect, the conversation and the ideal was that it grew and it changed. It didn't necessarily change, but it went with the times. And the idea that we don't know, we don't know the true intent of what God or Jesus or the spiritual aspects of what it should have been, and that it's supposed to be a guide. Again, we're coming back to the conversation, I'm getting real deep, about literal versus figurative. There's so many things, and we know that that happens with a lot, all the religions. Um, Buddhism has that extremist versus uh, more liberal thinking, Christianity, Judaism, all of that has its own spectrum of what they believe is Um, literal versus figurative, what we should be looking at, what we should be taking as uh, an example of, or just a story or a prophecy. Again, there's so much to that. And I think women for so long, when you look at, again, we talked about previously, that if we were looking at the word of Jesus alone, he never comes in with those women are this, this, and this. That has never been his goal. And that is not a thing that uh, was ever preached. It is very ironic that we have people who sit as leaders of churches saying that their word is the authority versus actual biblical word or truth or what they want to say is truth, which is, you know, the idea of Jesus. And again, if we take what Christianity was supposed to be today, which is the covering of the things that you couldn't do, as in like, you can't save yourself. That whole idea of like, you're not going to be good enough, which both... like, alleviates a little bit of responsibility, um, but at the same time, like, seems impossible. (laughs) So, like, you could have one extreme to another. And, you know, with that article from 1985, and I guess from that paper with Ruther, she's been around for a minute and have been talking about this for a minute as well. um, Not much has changed. The thing that has changed is I think a lot of women have given up. um, And instead of trying to marry those ideals together... They are leaving, as we talked about it previously, especially those in the millennial Gen Z groups have truly left. Um, I think one statistics was showing like 40% of women were like had enough of the millennial group had had enough and started to slowly walk away. When we look at uh, the depth of stigmas. That happens within religions. And I'm having a hard time because there's so much. I have a lot of people and good friends who are still very religious and who who still are very heavily into church. And I think they are great people. And if they are doing something that makes them feel hopeful and push forward, I love that. I love that for them. But what we're seeing today is that's not it. We're taking that whole ideal into becoming a fascist state. And that's the scary part of what we're seeing I keep saying that because I really, I know how important religion can be. Again, I've talked about the fact that it really did help me in my darkest time, but I also know how detrimental it can be when this type of abuse and trauma occurs. And we want to make sure that we are talking about that in a full stretch and how uh, we need to be aware for those around us and as, again, as the world is slowly feeling like stepping backwards. And speaking of that, yeah, so kind of give you the preview of next episode. Again, we're going to talk about um, the purity movement within Christianity. We're going to talk about the perfect ideal of mothers. We're going to talk about domestic violence. Upcoming, we'll be talking about Christian nationalism as well as cults. There's a lot.
0: Yeah. There is a lot. There is a lot. Um, I and mean, it just touches on so much that we talk about all the time here. So it makes sense to me that it, it was a multi-part series. <laughs> <laughs> and it will be ongoing. Uh, so look out for those episodes upcoming uh, listeners. Um, in the meantime, if you have any thoughts on this or any ideas for things we should cover, you can email us. Our email is Momstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at or or on Instagram, or TikTok at Stuff I Never Told You. We're also on YouTube. We also have a book coming out. You can pre-order it at stuffyoushouldreadbooks.com. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Christina, our executive producer, Maya, and our contributor, Joey, was very helpful for this one. Yes, did so much. Thank y'all so much. Yes. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told you is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.